Wake up, America. Time to stump the experts. Each week at this time, the H.J. Hines Company, makers of the famous 57 varieties, gives you information, please. A quartet of experts is on hand to answer your questions. Send them to information, please, at 570 Lexington Avenue, New York City. We may edit them a bit, and in case of similarity, you'll have to accept our judgment of who shall be paid. If we use your question, the H.J. Hines Company will send $10 in war stamps plus a set of the 12-volume Britannica Junior Encyclopedia. If we muff the question, you get $57 in war bonds and stamps plus a 24-volume set of the regular Encyclopedia Britannica. All questions remain our property. Information, please, is presented under the supervision of Dan Golenpaul. And now, our master of ceremonies, book reviewer of the New Yorker magazine, Clifton Fadiman. Thank you, Mr. Brown. Ladies and gentlemen, spontaneous and unrehearsed as ever, information, please, continues on its wayward path. Our two regulars, John Kieran of the New York Sun and Franklin P. Adams, are here to bat them out in consort with our two guests, Jan Struther, creator of Mrs. Miniver, and Boris Karloff currently scaring the pants off the West Coast in arsenic and old lace. Miss Struther and Mr. Karloff, I should explain, are in a Hollywood studio, and we are here in New York, about 3,000 miles away, and we are going to try to communicate by a system of signals which we shall now try out for the first time in the history of information, please. Uh, Mr. Karloff, what signal are you going to use that I'll know that you're going to answer the question? Well, I thought I might growl like the monster in Frankenstein. How, how do you do that? <laughs> well, there are two rows out already here. <laughs> and how, how about you, Miss Struther? What are you going to uh, use? Well, Harpo Marx lent me this horn. Shall I try it? Yes, please. <laughs> That's wonderful. Is Harpo there? Uh, he was just now. I think he's hiding behind something. Well, maybe the horn now. scared him. All right, uh, we have the signals arranged, and all we have to do now is to start our transcontinental program with a question from Lee Werber of New York City. Each of these dates in May, this is May, commemorates a specific event. What is it? Let's get two out of three. The first is May 10th. May 10th. Uh, commemorates a, a, uh, an event? Uh, uh, is... Oh, yes, that's Miss Struther. Miss Struther? That's right. <coughs> Hello? Yes? You want to know the answer? Now, what, don't be coy. We have no time for that sort of thing. Well, to start off with, it's my eldest son's birthday, and secondly, it's the day Hitler invaded Norway, and thirdly, it's the day Chamberlain went out. Well, now, I'm not sure about the... I'm sure about the first, the first all right, but he didn't invade right. Norway in, uh, in, in May 10th. He invaded the Low Countries. Oh, my mistake, yes. And now, what did you say about Chamberlain? I think it's the, it's the day that Chamberlain ceased to be Prime Minister of England. You sound extremely tentative, uh, Miss Strother, very tentative. Well, I'm, I'm not modest. sure if that's true. It also commemorates the burning of the books in Germany, May 10th, 1933. That's just ten years ago. I think, subject to recall, we're going to call that one wrong, and go on to this date, which is May 28th. That commemorates Mr. Adams? The birth of the quintuplet. Yes, very good, Mr. Adams. And, and what year was that? Well, they're supposed to be eight years old, but I don't know whether it was uh, last May 28th. I think it's this May 28th. They'll be eight. They were born 1934. We have no time to figure it out. Nine. Uh, <laughs> that's right, Mr. Adams. And finally, May 17th commemorates what event? May... 
Miss Strother. Oh! Uh, Mr. Carlock. <laughs> it commemorates the founding of the Home Guard in England. Well, of all things, I didn't know that. Is that true? May 17th? I hope so. <laughs> You're not making these things up, Mr. Carlock, in that monster no. manner of yours. I think Churchill had something to say about it over here the other day, didn't That's he? That's quite possible. Mr. Adams? It commemorates the time when uh, Karloff and Struther were out in Hollywood. You're just making that up. <laughs> it's true. It is true. Is that right, Mr. Karloff, Miss Struther? That's right, yes. Yeah. Here we are. Uh, it, it commemorates today, you mean. Yes, actually, it commemorates something far more important than that. Today is the fifth anniversary of what, Mr. Kieran? Of the start of information. Please. Yes. Haven't you any local pride? The fifth anniversary of information, please. And as long as nobody else seems to be doing it, the master of ceremonies will now applaud. <laughs> uh, I, I assume, Mr. Karloff, that you were right in your answer about the uh, home guard and will therefore... I was exactly right, but I had the wrong date. Oh, you had the wrong date. <laughs> yeah. well, in that case, we'll send $57 in war bonds and stamps to Mr. Werber courtesy of the H.J. Hines Company, plus a set of the Britannica with the compliments of Mr. Carla, who remembered the month but not the day. How about this one from Mayor Hyman of Trudeau, New York? I want you to differentiate the following. One, a vampire. Two, a zombie. Three, an ogre. Suppose we start with a vampire. Uh, the vampire speaks. Oh, Mr. Strother, <laughs> I beg your pardon, Mr. Strother. That's Mr. all right. Uh, no, he's the other one. Uh, a vampire is, uh, for one thing, it's a kind of bat that sucks blood, human blood. Yes. And a zombie is a, an extremely strong alcoholic mixed drink, of which well, you're only allowed uh, to have one. It is, I don't, uh, it is something oh, well, else, I'm, though you may not have heard of it, Miss Strother. Oh, I have, yes. It's called after that. Uh, what is a zombie originally? I, I mean, you may have introduced to it. Wow! It's the unburied uh, dead. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Carl. Mr. Carl, if you are scaring me to death, I'm, I'm going to ask you to use some other signal. I'll fall back on the buzzer. All right, because I shall never be able to last out this half hour. Uh, an ogre, finally. An ogre? Mr. Adams? An ogre is a, a Karloff. <laughs> In sheep's clothing. <laughs> is that right, Mr. Ogre? You say it to my face, Adams. <laughs> That's the Bring hard part, Karloff. Yeah, an ogre is a... What does he do, Mr. Adams, when he's not Karloff? What, what's his... He name? scares people. Yes, but Mr. Karloff? Well, he's a giant. Yes, he's a giant. One thing. Often. Mr. Kieran? He eats little children. Yes, little children, or, or middle-sized children, almost any size. That gives Sometimes us... he has only one eye in the middle of his forehead. Have you ever acted the part, Mr. Karloff? No, but I hope to. <laughs> Here's one from Mrs. Elmer T. Hutchinson of Elizabeth, New Jersey. Where, in fact or in fiction, do you find people dressed as follows? First, dressed in green. Dressed in green. I have uh, Hollywood calling. Uh, Miss Brother? Miss uh, Robin, Robin Hood and his merry men. Robin Hood and his merry men. Very in good. In Lincoln huh? green. In Lincoln green, yes. How about people who are dressed in pearl buttons? And I presumably something else, too. Mr. Is that, was that Mr. Karloff? It was both of us. All right, Mr. Karloff. We might say it together. It's the London, London Costa. Costa yes, you'll have to explain that to us. What are Costa mongers? 
they're chaps who live in the East End, and they sell a lot of old clothes and things like that, and they have a little barrow and a donkey, and on bank holidays, they go out with these huge buttons all over their clothes. Yes, now, that's very quaint. What does the, the word costamonga come from, Mr. Carlock? I haven't the least idea. Do you, Miss Struther? No. Do you want me to guess? Yes, please. Well, I should think it was something to do with the uh, couturier, you know, cost costume people who, who sold bits of rag and stuff or no. bought bits of rag and stuff. That's very Doesn't quick sound thinking. convincing. Very uh, quick thinking. Absolutely wrong, Jan, but very quick good, thinking. Yes. No, uh, in the old it. days, these, these fellows sold custard, C-O-S-T-A-R-D-S, which I learn here is a species of large ribbed apple. Now, do you know the answer, Miss Struther, in case it ever yeah, comes I up again at our 10th anniversary? How about people who are all dressed in white? Where do you find them, Mr. Kieran? Uh, cleaning our streets. <laughs> <laughs> Very true, Mr. Kieran. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of the, of the men in white, that sort of man in white. You'd find them, Mr. Kieran? Also in an operating room. Also in an operating room, Mr. Adams? That's what I thought. In also, also, the bride is all dressed in white. No, oh, not always. No. 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 <laughs> Doesn't it say in that uh, wedding march here, Miss uh, Strother? Uh, something old and something new, something borrowed and something blue, so she isn't all dressed in white. Well, don't they, doesn't it say, here comes the bride all dressed in white? Dum, da -da -dum, da -da -dum, May da say so, but it isn't the fact. A misquotation, eh? All right. <laughs> Gives us three colors out of three. Try this from Margaret A. Tommy of Hartford, Connecticut, who advocated an international organization based upon the idea of a United States of Europe. Uh, Mr. Carlock. I think it's was a man named Briand, the French statesman. Exactly right, Mr. Carlos. Aristide Briand, some years ago, advocated the United States of Europe. He was a little ahead of his time. And who advocated an organization based upon the union of the British Empire and the United States? Mr. Kieran? Clarence Strite. Clarence Strite uh, has a famous plan for such a union. And finally, who advocated an international organization based upon the union of England and France? Uh, Miss Struther? Well, Winston Churchill suggested it, didn't he? Yes, at or what time? At just, what juncture in history? Just a little too late, the day that France fell, or the day yes. before France fell. Just before it surrendered, that's quite right. Miss D. Anderson of Merrick, Long Island, sends this one in. It's a nursery rhyme question. Who in nursery rhymes was thrown downstairs? Thrown downstairs? Uh, Miss Brother? Uh, I took him by the left leg and threw him down the stairs. Yes, uh, who was it? it an old man who wouldn't old say his prayers. Old man who wouldn't say his prayers. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Very good. From Goosey Goosey Gander. And how about the, the uh, who was beaten all around the town? Beaten all around the town? Uh, Mr. Carlock. It was the lion and the unicorn, I think. Well, will you tell us about them, Mr. Carlock? Uh, the lion and the unicorn. Yeah, hmm. We're fighting uh, for the crown. It doesn't matter. Fighting for the crown. Yes. The lion. Yes. Took the unicorn beat and the beat unicorn. him around the town. Yes, yes, very good. And how about uh, who was whipped and lashed? Whipped and lashed, Mr. Kieran. A pony. Tell us she about the pony. She whipped him, she lashed him, she drove him through the mire. I wouldn't lend my pony again for all the ladies hire. That's exactly right. Thank you very much, Mr. Kieran. And now I'm going to ask our Heinz reporter a question. Can you tell us, Mr. Grower, which one of the Heinz 57 varieties came first? Yes, and you're going to be surprised at the answer. It wasn't pickles. No, the first of the Heinz services to the housewives of America was the grating of horseradish. Pickles came second. 
And then a few years later, Heinz started making their famous tomato ketchup and chili sauce. Probably you'd have found Heinz mustard, Worcestershire, and pepper sauce and other condiments standing in one of those old-fashioned caster sets on your own grandfather's table back in the 90s. As the years have gone by, Heinz has taken on a lot of different cooking jobs, 57 varieties of them. Right now, in spite of war work and army ration requirements, we are still brewing rich, old-fashioned soups, fixing food for the babies, putting up jellies and relishes to help set a better table for millions of American families. That's why we say to you ladies busy with war work as well as housework, look to that lucky number 57. It's been a symbol of neighborly helpfulness for three generations. Thank you, Mr. Grower. We'll go on with a question from Charles L. Burbank of Attleboro, Massachusetts. In speaking to young ladies, we often use endearing terms. It says here, no matter, no matter what your sentiment may be, according to dictionary definitions, what are you actually calling her when you call her the following? In other words, what is the literal meaning of the following words of endearment? The first is very old-fashioned. I don't think they use it much anymore. Adorable. Adorable. What does it literally mean when you call a girl, Miss Struther? Suitable to be prayed to. Suitable to be prayed to is exactly right. What were you going to say, Mr. Adams? Same thing. Right? <laughs> to be worshipped. <laughs> I don't believe it. She phrases it well, doesn't she, Mr. Adams? How about... This will be more familiar. Suppose you call the lady cutie. Cutie. Uh, what is the literal... What do you really mean, uh, Miss Strother? Clever. Clever. What's, the, what's it from? Acute. And what does acute itself mean? Mr. Um, Kieran. Sharp. And, uh, well, it comes from something which is very sharp. An, an angle. A needle. Uh, I think the Latin from which the word comes is the same as the Latin for needle. And finally, you must have, Mr. Adams, you must have said this a thousand times to people. If you say higher toots, uh, <laughs> uh, what are you saying actually? What does toots mean? I don't know. That's what I call Miss Struthers. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Uh, anybody, any idea what you really mean when you say toots, Mr. Kieran? I, I think it, it, yes, it means uh, little feet. Yes. Tootsie-wootsies. Yes, that's right. It comes from tootsie-wootsie. Uh, <laughs> by metonymy, Mr. Kieran, isn't that right? Naming the part for the whole. Very good. That gives us three out of three. Uh, and also starts a romance between Mr. Adams and Mr. Struther. <laughs> Here's one from James S. Whiten of Denville, New Jersey. Of what illegal act at sea was each of these men guilty? The first is Jean Lafitte. What was uh, Miss Struther? Piracy or piracy, however you like to pronounce it. Well, how do you like to pronounce no, it? No, smuggling, smuggling. No, you stick to the first one. Piracy well, is right. Well, he did a bit of both. Yes, he did a bit of both, yes. But piracy was the actual crime that he was guilty of. And, and what happened to Jean Lafitte? Uh, Mr. Kieran, do you know what happened to him? I think he came to a bad end in around New Orleans, didn't it he? It seems a reasonable assumption. How about Fletcher Christian? He was guilty at sea of what illegal act, Mr. Kieran? Mutiny. Mutiny. Mutiny on the bounty. Yes, mutiny on the bounty. Mr. Karloff, what were you going to tell us? Well, he speaks first. That's the trouble. <laughs> <laughs> that is the trouble. And Lord Jim was guilty of what illegal act? Lord Jim, Mr. Karloff. Um, he deserted his ship. Deserted the ship. You'd find uh, all about Lord Jim where? Uh, in a book called Lord Jim by Joseph Conrad. Yes, that's quite right, Mr. Carloff. How about this from D.C. Poole of Princeton, New Jersey? Uh, can you mention at least three cliches, uh, conventional phrases, 
connected with riding or driving horses, for example, to kick over the traces might be one. Let's see if we can get three or four more. Mr. Kieran. Uh, hold your horses. Yes, hold your horses. Very good. Mr. Karloff? Uh, to take the bit in your teeth. Very good, Mr. Karloff. Miss Strother? To be riding for a fall. Riding for a fall. Very good. We haven't uh, got an image, uh, Mr. Adams, from you. I don't know anything about horses. Uh, that ain't hay. That ain't hay. Very good, Mr. <laughs> Kieran. Sure. Come a cropper. Uh, feeling his oats and so forth. Any one of those would be very good. Thomas J. Hickey of Silver Springs, Maryland, sends this one in. Uh, Miss Strother, anthologies of English poetry generally begin with what lyric? Yes? Uh, are you addressing this question to me only? Yes, I just thought I might try you on it. Mr. Adams? Uh, summer is a coming in. Summer is a coming in. Right. And Lude sing cuckoo. Luda sing cuckoo. Now, how about Lude. these phrases about summer? They all occur in the opening lines of famous poems, quote, the entire line. The first phrase is, a summer evening. A summer evening, Mr. Uh, Sir Adams. It was a summer evening, uh, Battle of Blenheim. Uh, <laughs> yes, that's the first line and the title of a poem. Oh, Casper's work was done. Yes, and what was he doing? Sitting in the sun. Uh, yes, he was uh, before his cottage door and sitting in the sun in order to make the rhythm better. Uh, a balmy summer evening. A balmy summer evening, Mr. Kieran. It was a balmy summer evening, and a goodly crowd was there. Very good. And what was that from? The Face on the Floor, I believe. Face on the Floor by Hugh Darcy. Mr. Karloff, you don't recollect that? No. A, a little out of your line. <laughs> yes. Has the proper classical flavor. How about this one? A Summer's Day. A Summer's Day. What's Mr. Strother? Strother? Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? With a summer's day? No, to a Two. summer's day. To a summer's day. How does it go on? Thou art, thou art more lovely and more temperate. Very good. Can you give us another line or two? Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's lease hath all too short a date. Very That'll good. be enough, I think. Very good. <laughs> Thank you, Miss Strother. Yes, it's from one of uh, the most famous sonnets of Shakespeare. Mr. Kieran will tell you the number of the sonnet. I think it, Could you possibly, Mr. Kieran? I think it's uh, either 16 or 18. You don't look at me for confirmation, it's 18, I think. Oh, you know, Miss Strother. No, I don't, but I'm guessing. That's right, X, V, and three eyes. Well, that's what you remember, Mr. <laughs> and now, here's our Heinz reporter, Mr. Grauer, with his answer to a question that was asked by William Shakespeare of Stratford-on-Avon. The question is, what's in a name? We all know that a good name is a mighty precious possession. In every community, there are people whose names mean a great deal. People who are known as hard workers, fair dealers, good neighbors. When they pass that name along to their children, it's something to live up to. Many's the town where being Joe White's or Frank Williams' boy is as much a title as Sir This or Lord That. And that family name also carries a responsibility. The same thing is true of the name of a company like H.J. Hines, makers of the 57 varieties. In millions of American homes, Hines has always seemed like the name of an old friend of the family. When Dad and Mother went to housekeeping, and even when Grandmother was a bride, people knew and trusted the Hines name and Hines quality. If it's Hines, they said, it's bound to be good. Now that's a reputation worth working for, worth keeping. And you can be sure that in spite of war scarcities and restrictions, every package that carries the name of Hines 57 varieties is and will be the finest food that care, skill, and knowledge can prepare. Thank you, Mr. Grower. How about this one from Mary W. Wells of Indianapolis? This is all about 
people who are terrorized in one way or another, <clears throat> and Mr. Karloff, you should be on your toes. I suppose those long claws that you have are toes. Who was terrorized by a dull blue eye with a hideous veil over it? Mr. Uh, that Mr. Karloff? That's me. Oh, uh, who was it? Uh, it was the old gentleman in the Telltale Heart by Garland Poe. That's right. No, it was the boy in the Telltale Heart. It was the old man who had the eye. That's right. The old man had the eye, and what does the boy do in the Telltale Heart? He stands in the open doorway and stares at the eye if he can't he gets too much for him, then he sort of goes in and strangles him. Yes. That's a sort of happy ending from your point of view, yes. isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> who, uh, who was terrorized by a detached hand that moved its, moved its five fingers? A detached hand that moved its five fingers. Mr. Karloff, our monstrous I'm getting friend. a little embarrassed about this. Why? But it, 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 was, a, it, um, it was a young man... And the hand belonged to his uncle, who had died, and he'd been the victim of automatic writing. Yeah. And the hand was chopped off at the uncle's request by an evil spirit that had inhabited him. Very gay. And it was sent to the nephew and sort of made things unpleasant for him. Yes, yes, you put it very nicely. Um, called The Beast with Five Fingers. The Beast with the Five Fingers. And who wrote, who wrote the story? Uh, W.F. Hart. name Harvey? Yes, that's right. A very good chiller uh, writer. Mr. Carlo, Mr. Carlo, you indulge in the reading of these things as well as in the acting of them, don't you? Oh, I love them. <laughs> <laughs> How about this one, then? <laughs> Kieran, by the way, is absolutely white. <laughs> <laughs> Who was terrorized by an animal's paw that turned in one's hand? An animal's paw, Mr. Adams. Uh, that was probably The Monkey's Paw by W.W. W. Jacobs. Yes, that's quite right. And who are the people? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Mr. Karloff, have you read the story? I don't remember its turning in his hand. Yes, it does, Mr. Atkins. I think it was the mother and father of a boy who was away. Yes, that's right. Mother and father, Mr. and Mrs. White were the, were the names. Yes, the, the uh, paw does actually turn in the hand of one of them at the very end, Mr. Karloff. Uh, Try it. It'll give you a new shudder. I will, thank you. Not at all, not at all. Always glad to make you happy. How about this thank one you. from Miss Louise Hinchcliffe of Webster, Massachusetts. This is about pursuers and fugitives of one sort or another. A pursuing army was drowned to the last man. What pursuing army, Mr. Curran? If the army of the Egyptians pursuing the, uh, Moses and his people across the Red Sea. Yes, it's exactly <coughs> right. And you'll find it, as Mr. Adams would say, in Exodus XIV. Uh, who, uh, here's another set of pursuers and fugitives, or rather one set. Uh, a third baseman chased a second baseman. Who are these people? Mr. Kieran. Uh, Heine Zimmerman chased Eddie Collins. Heine Zimmerman was the third baseman, and he chased Eddie Collins across the plate in a World Series. And uh, it was, well, I was out of the country, so I don't remember. It was either 1917 or 18. Yes. What were you doing? I was working for about $33 a month for Uncle Sam. <laughs> <laughs> that is the correct answer. And how about this? A farmer's wife hit back at her pursuers. Uh, Miss Struther? It was the farmer's wife uh, and the three blind mice. Well, will you prove it? How did she hit back at them? Uh, with a carving knife. Yes. What did she do, Miss Struther? She chopped off their tails with a carving knife. There's one for you, Karloff. Isn't that ah. right? Cut off their tails with a carving knife. Very good. Mr. Greeley, W.R. Greeley of Lexington, Massachusetts, sends this one in. 
This is all about legendary heroes who were made invulnerable in various fashions. What happened to them? The first one was dipped in the river Styx. Oh, I have four hands, apparently. Uh, Mr. Kieran. Well, that was Achilles who was dipped in the river Styx, but his mother held him by the heel to keep him from going under entirely, so his heel was not invulnerable, and he finally was shot in the heel. Yes, uh, who shot him? Well, that I don't remember. Mr. Mr. Carlock? <coughs> I think it was Hector, wasn't it? No, he killed Hector. Oh. No, I, oh. I think it was Paris. Paris in the post-Homeric story shot him with an arrow. How about the legendary hero who bathed himself in the dragon's blood and was made invulnerable uh, for on that account? Who, what happened to him? Who was he first? One who was bathed, Mr. Uh, Miss Strother? I think it was Perseus. I think it was not Perseus. Oh. There's a slight difference of opinion here. One of us must be wrong, Mr. Kieran. Would that be St. George? No, I don't think so. I think it was Siegfried. Oh. Remember when Siegfried bathed himself? It's all in Wagner. There was only one exposed spot between the shoulders where a, a leaf from a linden tree stuck as he took his bath. And later on he was killed by the villain whose name was Hagen. That's one wrong. We have to get the next one right. This hero, in, this, in the case of this hero, his mother got the promise of all living things except one, that he would come to no harm. What happened to him? Uh, Miss Strother. Uh, that was uh, Loki, the evil god in Scandinavian mythology. And his mother got everybody to... Uh, got the promise of all living things that belonged to the earth or the air that they wouldn't harm him, but she forgot about the mistletoe, which is a parasite and lives between the earth and the air. And so Balder, his uh, half-brother or something, made a... No, listen, I'm wrong. It was Balder was That's the right, guy that got the promise. That's right, I was waiting for you to correct you. That's quite right. It was Balder, Balder was, was the guy that they promised about, and Loki, the bad one, made a bow or an arrow out of mistletoe wood, an arrow, I guess. Yes. And so he was able to shoot Balder with it because it didn't belong to the earth or the air. Is that clear? That is extremely clear. I'm glad you told the whole story so as to make it clear that it was Balder, the handsome hero who was killed, rather than Loki, the villain. Yeah, but Act he came alive again. It was all right. <laughs> Did he really? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a happy ending for you, Miss Strother. Now, how about this one from Miss A.J. de Armand of Philadelphia? Who, in fact or fiction, revealed a secret of his past by a mark on his forehead? The secret of his past was revealed by the presence of a mark on his forehead. Come, come, ladies and gentlemen. I'm surprised at all four of you. A mark on his forehead, a mark on his forehead. <laughs> Mr. Curran? Uh, Mr. Carla? It might have been Cain. Yes, indeed, it was Cain. The Lord well, set a mark upon Cain. I'm very glad. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, in the skin of our teeth, Mr. Wilder's play, which has just won the Pulitzer Prize... One of the characters, the son, uh, I imagine is the personification of Cain, because he has a mark on his forehead, too, unless it's bad makeup, I'm not sure. <laughs> How about one who revealed a secret of his past through a scar on his leg? A scar on his leg. Don't you know, Mr. Adams? Mr. Uh, Mr. Carlock. Was that Jean Valjean? No, it was not. Oh. Uh, that was a quick passage of conversation, wasn't it? Huh? <laughs> no, it was, it was Ulysses. Remember in, in the, the Odyssey, Ulysses, after many of his wanderings, comes home and his old nurse, 
Euryclea recognizes him when he, she washes his feet. And how about one who revealed a secret of his past by the fact that he dragged one leg a little? Mr. Kieran. That was Jean Valjean. That was Jean Valjean. He dragged his leg because he had been chained. He wore a ball attached to his leg That's when he exactly was in the right. galleys. I think we'll have time for this from James H. Black of this city. What happens when, quote, love is done? Close quote. Mr. Adams? Well, uh... Note about a biography, please. Uh, Mr. Kieran? <laughs> the light of the whole world dies when love... The light of a whole life dies when right. world is done by Francis Bordelon. Very good. And what happens when, quote, day is done? Close quote. Day is done. Mr. Kieran? I think of you. Uh, that's yeah. the song. That's the day the song, is done. Yeah. I dream of you. I Don't be so intellectual, John. I dream of you. <laughs> quote, what happens when, quote, faith is lost? Mr. Kieran The again. man is dead. How, where'd you get that from? From Webster. Uh, <laughs> a, a, a charge Whittier's, against Webster. Uh, yes, Whittier's Echabod. That's three out of three. And that's all we have time for. Thank you, Miss Struther and Mr. Karloff, for the first-rate transcontinental <laughs> assistance on Information Please's fifth birthday. Tonight, the H.J. Hines Company has paid out $57 in war bonds and stamps and one set of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Next week, Mr. Adams and Mr. Kieran will again be present, along with two guests, the eminent theatrical publicist, Richard Maney, and that great lady of the theater whose name is her introduction, Miss Ethel Barrymore, currently starring in The Corn is Green. Remember, send your questions and the correct answers to Information, Please, 570 Lexington Avenue, New York City. And now, Ben Grower. H.J. Hines invites you to sit in with the experts again next week at this...